each one of you here today. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. It started, I think, uh, maybe, with the morning manna that I wrote uh, a little over a week ago. The title of uh, that morning manna was called The Search. And since then, I haven't been able to get this verse, that is verse 33, off of my mind. So I wrote about it today again uh, in the pastor's pen. I hope you took time to read that because I wrote it with the idea that I was going to be preaching from this verse this morning. And then also morning manna today was based on this very same verse and so this morning, I'm going to be preaching from verse number 43. The title of the message is, What Are You Seeking? What are you seeking? Did you know the average American spends two and a half days uh, a year looking for misplaced items? Now, some of us might spend more time than that. You know, uh, but uh, but that's the average. Americans also spend 474 days of their life trying to find something to watch on TV. That's 1.3 years of your lifetime trying to find something you want to watch on TV. Uh, I read about one woman who had spent, and she looked to be, oh, I don't know, in her 80s, I would say, still young. And um, she had spent, she had been adopted whenever she was little and uh, didn't know her biological parents or family. And she had spent the entirety of her life, devoted her life to searching for her biological family. I don't know about you, but for some of us, it might be better off to not find out. You know, I, whenever I got back to, and I never searched for it myself, but my sister, one of my sisters did, and got back to Bell Star, you know, the you kids don't know who that is, but she was a famous outlaw, and... Uh, but got back to Bell Star, and and you know I decided I don't want to know any more about my relatives, and so. Uh, but it's amazing. Notice verse thirty-three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Of all of the things that I lost during the flood, that we lost, I should say, but since I'm talking about something personal, it'll, it'll have to do with what I lost. Uh, one, of, one of the most painful things was uh, a, a good number of my outlines and notes and things, my personal notes that I've, you know, that I've used, and so happened that uh, among those that were lost was uh, a message from this text I preached. I think the title of it was uh, The Best Place to Live. Now, that's not what I'm preaching today, but I am preaching from this same text today. Oswald Chambers, some of you might, uh, might be a fan of his and his devotional book. You should be. 
He said immediately, we look at these words of Jesus, he said, we find them the most revolutionary statement human ears ever listened to. Now, that might be debatable, but the fact of the matter is, that tells us that whenever we look at this, that we're, you know, we're into something big. There's something important that the Lord is saying here. And uh, there's no way in one message we could even begin to cover it all, but hopefully I'll be able to say enough that you'll get the big picture and be encouraged by it. The overall thought really is quite simple, uh, but of great importance. It's important because it talks about putting first things first. Notice, seek ye first. First. I'll say it again, first, seek ye first. This verse tells us how we can make the rest of our life the best of our life. Now, is that worthy of consideration or not? If you could get a promise some way or another that the rest of your life can be the best of your life, surely you'd want to consider that. It deserves our attention. One of my... One of my favorite writers was a fellow that lived, uh, I don't know, a hundred or more years ago, I guess, by the name of James Hastings. And, and he said, every man who would make life a success must have something that is always first for him. Now, Jesus declared that the great, great first thing of life is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And indeed, that is exactly what the Lord Jesus said. And that ought to end all of the debate about what is first. But that having been said, now what? I mean, that is the instruction, but what we need now is the implementation of this. In other words, we need to do as he desires and as he has demanded. Somebody said life is like a dollar bill. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. And that's right. We better get it right the first time because when it's gone, it's gone. And we we make fools of ourselves if we procrastinate when it comes to getting down to the main focus in our life, having it where it ought to be. That's why the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. So the question this morning is, what are you seeking? You see, everybody's looking for something. You know, whatever label you put on it, you're looking for something. And I can tell you what it is. We might spell it in different ways. But what we're all looking for is satisfaction. You know, just as sure as man wants bread of some sort, some sort of food to sustain him physically, man is looking for something that will satisfy the longings that are in his heart. Now, we don't always know what that is, but we're looking for something. So... Uh, Every one of you is on a search. Somebody says, you know, I've been looking for God for years. Well, God's not lost. He's, you know. I mean, God is right there all of the time. God's not lost. 
It's not a matter of whether or not we can find God. It's a matter of whether or not we're actually seeking God. Let me, let me ask you another question related to that. What do you want most? What are you looking for? Now, you know, if we took a survey, there'd be a lot of different answers. But whenever it's all said and done, it's all going to come back to the same thing. Satisfaction. However you spell it. Fishing, hunting, sports, whatever it is. Money, fortune, fame, whatever it is. The bottom line is we're looking for satisfaction. We all yearn to be satisfied. Now, would it surprise you if I told you that God wants the same thing for you? He really does. A lot of folks got the idea that God is some sort of killjoy, that He wants to make us miserable, that He wants to set down a list of demands that we have to follow to appease His wrath, and, and you know, that He just takes great delight in whacking us over the head in some way and, and hurting us whenever we get out of line. But the fact of the matter is, you know, God wants you to be happy. But God wants you to find your happiness in Him. It's wonderful to say, you know, I just want to be satisfied in life. That's wonderful. But what are you seeking? What are you looking for that hopefully will satisfy you? I'm telling you, God is the only sure source of satisfaction. I've often said, you know, we would want for ourselves exactly what God wants for us if we were as smart as God. And that's right. It's like, you know, somebody said many years ago concerning the commandments of God, when God says don't do this, what He really means is don't hurt yourself. You see, God has erected those commandments, those rules, those regulations for our good, for our benefit. The sad thing is most people never really discover that satisfaction is found only in the Lord. I think about Solomon. and he, In fact, he writes down the experiment that he conducted in the book of Ecclesiastes. He conducted an experiment. He tried everything this world had to offer. And here was a man that had a lot of money. Here's a man that had a lot of power. He was in a position and had the ability to be able to try all of these things, whether it was wine, whether it was women, whether it was wealth, whatever it was. He, he, he just, I mean, he just went in head first in all of these things. And the bottom line was, it's all a soap bubble world. It's It's all vanity. There's nothing to it. There's no satisfaction to be found. He didn't find satisfaction until he discovered it in God. Fortunately for us, we can learn not only from the mistakes that people like Solomon made, but we can also learn by listening to the message that Jesus gave. And that's what we're looking at here this morning. The first thing I want you to notice is that there is a picturesque context. If we're going to really study the Bible, we always have to look at the context. And it's no accident that we find this verse in this context. You know, I've been talking about satisfaction, and whenever you look back here in the 
early part of this chapter, the Lord's talking about things, verse number 19, talking about things like finances, food, fashion, and the future. In other words, he's talking about the very things that concern the average person the most. And so he's talking about man's desire for satisfaction and basically looking at it from the physical standpoint there. And so it's in this setting that the Lord addresses the issue of where sure satisfaction is found. And, and then notice the very first word, because here we see a pertinent contrast. He starts with the word, but. That's a contrast to the heir of the Gentiles. Look at the verses before where he warns them. He says, for example, verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. That's what they're looking for. That's where their emphasis is. Their main concern was for things that were physical and things that are temporal instead of things that are spiritual and things that are eternal. And we would be fools to think there is anything more important than those things that are related to our relationship with God. Let me tell you, there are plenty of fools in this world today. And I hope God will help us to not be one of them. So he's drawing a contrast between the foolish Gentiles who put all of the emphasis on fortune and fame and the pleasures of this world and the things of this world that they're looking to for satisfaction. And so he draws this contrast and then he makes a plea for commitment. He says, notice, but seek ye first. In contrast to the Gentiles, seek ye first. And whatever else he goes on to say, he makes it clear that it is of the greatest importance. You know, since this was spoken by Christ, it's with the highest authority in all of the universe. It's not like some preacher getting up there expounding upon his views of something. It's not some preacher you know, expressing his preference about something. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's the one speaking and he says, seek ye first. And so you mark it down, whatever he says, ought to be the first thing on our agenda. And he's calling for a commitment to that because he says, seek and that word seek means to aim at. It means to strive for or to, to, to desire. In, in the context here, it's speaking about having a single-minded focus, a passion, a zeal to achieve that which is desired. Actively pursuing something rather than just passively sitting back with a, oh, well, a come what may attitude. No, it's going after it. Seek. Seek ye first. It's, it's not down, you know, it's not just something that's in the top ten, but we're to seek this first. And a lot of folks, you know, have God in the top ten. Oh, He makes the list, but, you know, He might be down there at the seventh or eighth spot. 
But I'm telling you, even if you have him in the second spot, you've got things out of order. Your priorities are wrong. Seek ye first. He must be number one. That's, that is the plea for a commitment to what is first. But then having made that plea for commitment, do it first, he says. Notice there is the preeminent command. Here it is. Here's what they're to seek. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what we're to be committed to. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. That tells us two things here. Number one, that we have to set proper priorities. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. Everything rises or falls here. Because if we get this wrong, everything else is going to be wrong in our life. So none of us have to guess what is the most important thing in life because Jesus is making it perfectly clear. Now we know what is important. It's just a matter of whether or not we'll put it in its proper place if we'll give it our proper attention. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I, I love what David Livingston, the famous missionary, said many years ago, and he lived it out, by the way. He said, I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. And he got it right. Uh, you know, that's exactly the way it ought to be for all of us, but sadly, most people don't have that kind of emphasis upon the kingdom of God. They don't seem to realize that we don't have the right to do as we please unless what we do is pleasing to the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, now, here's the problem. There are a lot of folks, you know, at this point, they're thinking, well, I've already done that, you know. I, I've already trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm a child of God. I'm going to heaven when I die. I can check that off of my list. Well, you, you're, you just don't understand. That, that's the problem. We talk about seeking the kingdom of God. Notice this involves more than just seeking entrance into the kingdom of God. You know, that's by the new birth. The moment we're saved, we're a part of the kingdom of God. But this involves more than that. Whenever we talk about seeking the kingdom of God, and whenever you look at the whole picture here, you'll see he's drawing a contrast between those Gentiles, those unbelievers, and those who profess to be believers. You can say this is being addressed to Christian people. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It was given to believers. So what does it mean for those of us who are believers? What does it mean for us to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, it can mean at least three things. Number one, that it means that we seek the government of our king. The government of our king. That is that we submit ourselves to him that he rules over us. I mean, let's be honest about it. Every professing Christian is not living a life of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of folks, if they were doing that, they'd be here this morning. There are a lot of people who profess to be Christians that are not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? 
You know, any, anybody can call Him Lord, but nobody has a right to call Him Lord unless they're living under His government, that is, living under His authority, submitting to His will, allowing God to govern your life. Are you doing that? Are you seeking God's kingdom in that you are willing for God to govern your life? But it means more than just the government of the king. It also has to do with the guidance of the king. That he guides our footsteps. You know, it's one thing for the king to issue a command to us. It's another thing for the king to offer counsel unto us. And the Lord does both. He gives some stern commands that we dare not depart from, but then He offers up wise counsel, that is, principles that we would do well to follow. And you see, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. There are so many times, you know, that you know we're willing to keep those big Ten Commandments, or at least we think we are, but when it comes down to following the principles and the guidance of God in our life, we just totally ignore that. We make our plans and start doing things, that, you know, what we want to do in life rather than being guided by Him. Boy, there's so many different areas of our life I, to, to take into consideration. I believe we ought to pray about all of the basic things in life. I I believe we ought to seek God's will in regards to in regards to marriage. I believe there, you know, and I realize, you know, that the Lord gives us some leeway in that, and He allows us to marry whomsoever we would in the Lord. You know, He does establish a boundary there. But I certainly think I don't think y'all had that. Who just give me a girl or, or a man, whatever the case might be. That's as far as I'm going with that. I believe we ought to pray about that, don't you? I believe we ought to seek God's guidance when it comes to the matter of where we work, where we live, what we do, everything in life. And there's so many pre people that are just so headstrong, they just go, you know, barreling through life without any consideration for what God might want. And they're not seeking the kingdom of God when it comes to this matter of guidance or government. But then the real, I think, key to all of it, the motivating factor in all of this, is that when we seek, when we seek the kingdom of God, we're seeking for the glory of God. I find it interesting that whenever Paul was writing to the church at Corinth about this matter, he said in chapter 10 of the first letter in verse number 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink, Wait a minute, those are the very things under discussion when Jesus made the comment back in our text. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, motive matters with God. Somebody says, oh boy, he did, well, wow, he preached an awesome sermon, yeah, but if the motive wasn't right, it's not awesome. Somebody says, boy, I'll tell you what, I'd give anything to be able to sing like so-and-so, yeah, it might sound good, but if the motive is wrong, 
If they're seeking the applause of man rather than the approval of God, there's no reward for it in heaven. Motive matters, and in everything we do, the primary consideration for our actions ought to be, will this glorify God? Somebody says, well, you know, should I do this or shouldn't I do that? You know, look, folks, we can narrow all of those all of those naughty questions down to just one big issue. Will it or will it not enable me to glorify God or hinder me from glorifying God? Because that is the purpose for which we're created. That's what the Bible says. That was the purpose of all of creation. It was the purpose of the Jewish people. When you go back to the Old Testament, it's the purpose of the church. Unto Him be glory in the church. The purpose of God in everything for everyone is that He be glorified. And I ask you, are you that concerned about the glory of God? And the guidance of God and the government of God, is that what you're seeking? So he starts out by saying, seek ye first. And he talks about setting the proper priority. And then he moves from that to seeking personal purity. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But, and he could have stopped right there, but he didn't. He says, and his righteousness. You see, Christianity is more than a creed that explains our beliefs. It also involves our character that express, is expressed by our behavior. It's not just what we believe, but it's how we behave, in other words. God's control over us produces His character within us. A lot of times we sing... That little chorus to be like Jesus, but let me ask you, does that really, truly, honestly, 100% express the desires of your heart when you're saying that? Now, don't try to answer for me or somebody else. Answer for yourself. I mean, is that really true whenever you, whenever you sing to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to, to be like Him. It ought to be the desire of our heart. That ought to be the goal of each and every one of us. Because you see, the Lord wants us to be transformed that we might eventually be conformed unto the image of His own dear Son. And that transformation is something that is ongoing. The problem is that so many people would say, oh yeah, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, but then you look at their life and their character doesn't give any evidence of that. There's no proof of what they profess. Now I want you to notice that whenever we set proper priorities and we seek personal purity, I want you to notice that he gives us a promise of prosperity. Here's the promised compensation. And all these things shall be added unto you. What do you go all the way back to verse number 19? Read all the way through verse number 32. And you'll see what things he's talking about. 
He's talking about the basic needs of life, whether it's what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, or whatever it is, you see. And the point is that a child of God and the will of God will have the provisions of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll have everything we want, but we'll have everything we need. And the great thing about it is this is just one verse among many that gives us that same assurance that God will supply the needs of His people. You know, I, I could, and by the way, I have spent as much as an hour talking about this promise. And it would be easy to just focus on this one promise here. But let me tell you, it shouldn't take you 30 seconds to realize that this is a priceless promise. That if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all of these things shall be added unto you. And that's why we have this picture of contentment in verse 34. Notice what he says. Here's a picture of contentment. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What a wonderful word of assurance. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. Why? Because all we need to be concerned with is today. Whether we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I started out by making reference to a sermon I preached uh, some years ago entitled, The Best Place to Live. And I surely can't recall all I said, but but I, I, I want to make sure you get the message. The best place to live is in the kingdom of God. A lot of people put a lot of emphasis on where they want to live. And, and every year somebody comes out with a list of the best cities to live in. Or maybe the best communities to live in. But I'm telling you what, none of them, none of them is a better place to live than to live your life seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because when you do that, when you put yourself under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're also putting yourself under His care. Why would you want to live anywhere else, by the way? When we do as the Lord commands, we, we can possess a perfect peace that, as Paul put it, it passeth all understanding. We worry and fret, you know, about this and that and the other. And in reality, the Lord is showing us here how that we can just, by putting everything into His hands and under His care, that we need not worry and fret. Now, he didn't look. He didn't say life's going to be easy. He didn't say that if you'll do that, I'm going to give you everything you want. But he did promise to give us everything we need. Um, I uh, was on Facebook with a preacher friend of mine. Uh, he was a real young man. I can remember back. Years ago, whenever back before he started preaching uh, back in Kentucky, and now he's just doing a really bang up great job and uh, preaching the word and uh, pastoring the church. And 
But he was talking about the fact and sharing that he had, he had come to the point of making a decision because as the church struggled over the years and he was trying to build this church up, you know, that finally he decided that I'm going to quit my job and just trust the Lord to supply my needs and devote all of my time. And I, I wrote him back and tried to give him some words of encouragement, but but all of the time I was writing, I was thinking about the decision that uh, Bev and I made many, many years ago whenever uh, we'd started a church there in Fairgrove, Missouri. And I mean, we didn't have anything, boy. I was working at a job, but uh, even with my income there and what little the church was giving me, it was, boy, it was a it was a struggle. That was the school that you probably heard me make reference to it before that Bev had to cut a piece of cardboard and put in Kathy's shoe because she had a hole in her shoe and we couldn't afford to buy a new shoe, so she went to school that way. Now, I'll never forget going into my boss who happened to be a good friend of mine and told him, Frank, I'm going to resign. I'm going to be leaving. And he knew I pastored the church and he he said, well, how, how are you going to support your family? How are you going to take care of yourself? And I said, well, I, I, I'm not sure, but I'm just trusting the Lord will provide our needs. And he just the same as said, man, you're crazy. He said, there is no way that, that you can survive doing this. And uh, I said, well, it's not up to me. And so I resigned. And we did. We struggled some. I don't think I ever lost any weight, but uh, we struggled some, so our needs were being met. I had a, some preacher friends, some of them you would know, uh, dead and gone now, but uh, they uh, really encouraged me that one of them said, look, let me tell you what to do. I've got rental property, so what you need to do is is... Get some rental property. Get an old house somewhere you know and kind of fix it up and rent it out. And then get a, he's now I've got several. And whenever, whenever it comes time to retire, I can kick back, you know. And I said, no, I, I don't think that's for me. I, I, I resigned my job so I could devote all my time to pastoring the church. I don't have time for that. And so another preacher friend said, well, I got a better idea than that. You can sell insurance. Man, you can make all of these great contacts for the church and it really works good together. You know, I've been doing it. Had another one up in Oklahoma said, no, no. He said, I've got a better idea than that. And, yeah, he was, uh, he thought I ought to restore old classic cars. And man, you can make some money doing that. And I told every one of them, I said, no, look, God called me to pastor a church and I'm going to, I'm going to devote all of my time to doing that, and it is a sink or swim deal. God will either take care of me or He won't. And I stand here before you today to tell you that He has. He has. Not because I deserved it, but because He's God. And, and I'm telling you, what He's done for me and what He's done for others, He'll do for you. You seek first the kingdom of God. Put yourself under His government. Seek His guidance. Seek His glory. You do that. And you can stop worrying about whether you're going to have the things that you need or not. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, please understand that there's absolutely nothing else that you can do to please God or to help yourself till first of all you become a member of God's kingdom and you do that by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that this morning? I would hope so. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, extend to you this invitation this morning. If you're here and you've never been saved, I pray you will be before you leave. And if you're here today and you're a child of God and you love the Lord, but, well, there are other things that have taken over the priorities of your life. There are other things that, you know, you haven't denied God, but you've just kind of crowded Him out. You, you know, put him further down on the list. You've let other things occupy your time and your talent. And all of a sudden, you know, God's on the list, but it's not the first thing on the list. And maybe today you need to readjust your priorities and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not making you number one in my life. And I want to get my priorities straight this morning. I'm going to put you first. Whatever it is God would have you to do, would you do that while we sing? Come on, right now.